The Seven Rock Life Show is about stories that inspire with people that you will admire, learning to develop new chapters in life, learning from the past, but letting the old stories expire so it gives room for the new stories you create. Our brand is about three things, victorious in your life, contributing to society, and having fun along the journey. Seven Rock Life is a lifestyle that inspires and gives back with a mission to impact the world one life at a time. I'm your host, Steve Mazurko. Thanks for tuning in and being part of this journey. Enjoy the show. Welcome to Seven Rock Life Nation podcast show. We are so grateful to have you tuning in today and each week. A few updates to keep you in the loop with the brand and mission. First, we want to thank each and every one of you for making season one of the show a success. We hit 44 countries around the world and we are continuing to grow and make an impact. Make sure to go back, share, and check out the 23 episodes that inspired so many in season one. If you haven't left a comment yet on iTunes or Spotify, or even on Amazon with the Seven Rocks of Life book, we would appreciate that so much. Every review we read, we work on getting better as a brand to help you achieve your goals and helping our brand's mission to get out into the world to make an impact in society. With all the comments and shares on social media, we appreciate the love and the response from you all that has been given. All of those help to share our mission worldwide. We will be starting our season two going forward, so get ready for that. This podcast show is to help you become a better individual. Seven Rock Life Brand is about inspiring others, sharing ideas, and giving resources to help you become the best version you are destined to be. Whether it's the Seven Rocks of Life book on Amazon, which you can check out there, it gives the framework slash story of this lifestyle brand, or our clothing, which is sevenrocklife.com, which is a brand that inspires and gives back. We believe your clothing should empower your life's mission while looking pretty stylish as well, or some may say looking pretty swag. <laughs> Our full collection has some amazing new clothes and trends that are exclusive and also limited, so be sure to check those out. We are also having our Living to Inspire Festivals, which is a new and unique live event experience designed to educate, entertain, and connect one another through the Seven Rocks of Life mentality. Those out there who love to sing in the shower, me being one, this is your chance to show off your talent, these events, with your friends, family, and people that you just want to get exposed to this mindset. I know I am excited for these to get filled up in all rocks of life. We are striving to help you and the world become the best version we can every day. Check out the book, clothing, and festivals, our YouTube, our social medias. Not only will we be information that changes your life and make you live and feel better, but all of these are linked up to giving back, supporting charities and missions and causes around the world. Below in information is attached the website links so you can share and check out. You can see our latest trailer from Africa on our YouTube channel, Seven Rock Life, and also our festival dates on our live are live now on livingtoinspire.com. New York being the first one, get ready for a great episode of The Victorious Mindset with contributing back to society and of course having fun along the journey. Keep sharing the Seven Rocks of Life mentality. We love you all and appreciate each and every one of you. Keep living to inspire every day. Enjoy the show. Hey guys, Steve Mazurka here. Welcome to Seven Rock Life Podcast. I am here with uh, an amazing, amazing gentleman here. I uh, was able to meet Mr. Bob Cattell. 
and uh, so excited to have him here. I really is such an honor uh, to have you here, Bob, and just a little background on Bob. So for the past three decades, his award-winning story-driven keynotes have been kicked off in arena size. He's spoken to over 5 million-plus people uh, with events, uh, the power of success with Anthony Robbins in Canada, USA, and Europe. Um, he sets the tone and just uh, inspires people through his seats and just dedication to what he does. And he also toured with Zig Ziglar, Colin Powell, Rudy Giuliani, Tom Hawkins, Brian Tracy, Terry Bradshaw, and uh, Joe Mantana and Lou Holtz in over four different presents. So uh, it's great how we connected. Uh, we got to connect with Phil Town, uh, which he's an amazing investor and just a great guy and getting to see him speak on stage. So with uh, no further introduction, here is Mr. Bob Cattell. Well, hi, Steve, and hi, everybody out there. Uh, it's just great to have you here, and thank you for, uh, I know people are going to be impacted without a doubt, and the whole Seven Rock Life Nation, I was just telling Bob before, the whole brand is about VCF, Victoria Senior Life, contributing to society and having fun along the journey, and that's really what you represent, uh, just getting to know you shortly, and uh, so we're excited. So tell me about, you know, just your upbringing, where you come from, and share with the audience and Seven Rock Life Nation what you're all about. Well, I grew up in Chicktawaga, New York. It means land of the crabapple trees. Some people <laughs> think that has something to do with my personality. So uh, I grew up there. Uh, I was, played football. I was a track. I liked to pole vault. Uh, in fact, I tell people, you know, up, up to three years ago, I was pole vaulting, and I am the United States Northwest Master Champion in the pole vault in my age group. Wow. The reason is I was the only one who showed up in my age group. They fall <laughs> like flies at that point. That's amazing, yeah. What, um, so but, you know, with your teens and into your 20s, give a little background of just uh, – things that you uh, did, things you went through, and, and all that? Well, actually, I just had a lot of fun with sports. Uh, one day I found out that I could kick pretty well and that college scouts were looking at me. Uh, ended up going out to BYU to play football. And I talk about, uh, you know, my first standing ovation of all time. 19,000 people jumped to their feet. Actually, no, 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 sorry. 70,000 people jumped to their feet and gave my performance a standing ovation because I was on the other football team and I just missed a field goal. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. How was that? Well, I, th I thought that was the lowest point of my entire life because it was a television audience, and I mm -hmm. think everyone I knew... Oh, it was on TV? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I thought it was my lowest point. I was wrong. Four minutes later, I got my second standing ovation when I missed my second field goal. <laughs> so I wasn't feeling good, and that was the first time I ever uh, actually felt depression. Yeah. And I like what Paul Harvey said. He said, I hope one day I have enough of what the world calls success. So somebody asks me the secret of it, mm. I'll say simply this, I get up when I'm knocked down. Mm. Wow. Now, I was just talking to you a little bit before, Bob, of just um, how you got into motivational speaking and, and just the psychology, because we're going to get into that a lot, and I know many people are going to be affected with what you've been through and being tr transparent and how you got through those areas and those downs of life, but uh, how was it you know, with growing up and maybe battling with just um, you know, mental awareness? Because I know in today's world, mental awareness and mental uh, health is huge. I had no idea anything was going on. I just stayed really busy from sunup to sundown. And I found out later in life, busy is an addiction. Mm. So that was my addiction. Long as I was busy, I was fine and I was terrified of boredom. Yeah. And when did you start your, uh, your kind of career and with touring and with all those big names and, and all that? Well, my career actually started when I picked up a memory book and uh, my GPA went from 3.0 to 3.8. And I'm going, how come everyone doesn't know how to do this? So I... I don't, I'm going to teach them whether they like it or not. And I started going from classroom to classroom doing presentations and ended up teaching 3,000 college students for free how to have a better memory. So then I graduated and thought, I wonder if people will pay for this. 
So I actually sold it door to door. I sold, I, wow. I didn't know how to promote a seminar, but I was selling door to door and I go, okay. And I was making about $1,500 an hour going, hmm, this is way better than working for someone else. Then hmm. I went out to universities how, across the country. How old were you? Uh, 28. Did you always have this voice? To Did you always have this voice though? Uh, yeah, I've slowed down a little bit. I used yeah. to talk really, really fast. And I think communication in a way we, I mean, think about the, the voice and the sound that comes out of it. The way we say it, the words that come out, I mean, words are so powerful, right? And it can hurt you, it can build you up. So did you understand the power of just your words and speaking at a young age of how powerful it really was? I actually took, a, I dropped calculus because I thought I don't want to take that. And I took a public speaking class and it was really funny. Uh, he made us all uh, enter a contest. And I said, that's stupid. I'll never win. He goes, that's always the person who ends up winning. And I took second in the county with the, what my bicentennial heritage means to me in 1976. So that was the first time I thought, well, I, I guess I can speak. Then I kind of just dropped it. But then when I was in church, they said, because I joined the Mormon church back yeah. at BYU. And he said, you know, you should uh, bear your testimony. So I got up there and everybody's laughing. Everybody's crying. I'm going, hmm, I must be good at this. How old were you at the time? 18. Wow. Isn't it? It's interesting when you find your gift and you find just what you're able to do. You're like, it, it starts to make sense to you in your life. Yeah, it's kind of like a surprise. I, I, I was surprised the day I learned I could kick a football far. I was surprised that I could pole vault and I was surprised that I could speak. Wow. So now walk us through. So after 18, 20 years old, you start speaking. Uh, how was that from you know, your 20s to your 30s and, and that kind of period of life for you? Uh, actually, things were just uh, unwinding and getting better and better. Uh, I was terrified that I would have to work somewhere I didn't want to work. My dad, my senior year, junior year of high school, my dad invited me to go to work with him one day. You know, the first thing I learned, they don't air condition steel plants in the middle of the summertime. <laughs> in fact, it was really miserable in there. And that was when I, I thought I had no idea my father was going through this. In fact, as a teenager, from that day forward, I've never given my dad a hard time. And it was so loud that uh, my ears were ringing at the end of one day. My father's nearly deaf. But I remember what he said to me that day, son, if you can't get into college next year, I might be able to pull some strings to get you a job working with me here at the factory. That will rank as the single most motivational moment of my entire life. Wow. How was your, how was your upbringing just with your, your parents and your mom and dad? I mean, how, how much of a role has that played in your life, would you say? Uh, my mother taught me all kinds of great things, like always be on time, be respectful, um, she made me take typing. I go, Mom, the only boy in the whole class. She goes, you're going to take typing and you will thank me one day. So a few years later when I was in college typing a paper, I looked at my friend who's typing his and he's going, <laughs> called my mother long distance. Ma, you, remember you said I was going to thank you one day? Today's the day. Thank you. So my mother taught me some great things. Uh, and my father was very supportive and exposed us to all different sports. So he taught me not to live uh, your, your life through your child. Mm -hmm. Whatever we wanted to gravitate toward, he supported it. So I liked pole vaulting. He put a pole vault pit in our backyard. I was the only wow. one in the neighborhood. It never really caught on. But, oh, I got a funny story with that one. You want to hear it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when I go into the schools, I speak at a lot of schools for free. That's my giving back. I'm going to be speaking to 10 schools in Iowa in a couple of weeks. Some up in Canada this coming week. I'm going to put your website out at the end. We'll, we'll give the website out to everybody so they can uh, definitely see you. Yeah. And, everything. and if you can open up the door, I'll show up. Yeah. But what was really interesting, uh, I tell these kids that the last part of your brain to develop is the frontal lobe, and it deals with what happens next. Mm. So I ask them, hey, have you ever done something? Then after you did it, thought, what was I thinking? 
So I said one day I was pole vaulting in my backyard and I thought, you know what? I bet you if you run on dirt, that's faster than running on grass. So I went into the garage looking for a way to turn the grass into dirt. I saw a five-gallon drum of gasoline and I thought that should work. Wow. And I carefully poured it diagonally across our entire back lawn. And it wasn't until I lit the match and saw the flame shoot across that I thought, hmm, maybe that's not such a good idea. <laughs> uh, you know, it's funny. I, so that, that was with the fire and everything. So funny story. So you tell me a story. I tell you a story. So I was, you know, one of those five-gallon gas tanks when you're like a kid mm-hmm. and you, they're in the garage and you're not supposed to be a gas tank. It's supposed to be for like paint or something, whatever. And... I decide one day, I take leaves and the magnifying glass and I start putting the, the sun on the leaves. And I'm like, oh, it's on fire. But it wasn't like on fire long enough. I'm like, this stinks. I'm like, what can I put onto it to make it bigger? I'm like, gasoline. I'm like 12 years old. So nobody's home. Um, not that my, my parents were very responsible. They just came home a little bit later. And I poured, it's just a little flicker, and I poured on. Now, there's five gallons of gasoline. I poured, not thinking that it connects back into the container. Never taught me that in school or college. (laughs) And I connect it, and it goes into the leaves, and then the whole thing just starts catching on fire. I'm about five feet away from the garage. I drop it. Thank God I don't get burned. And then um, I go to run to get the uh, hose, come back. It gets around like a trunk. My dog's like laughing in the corner watching me. True story. Watching me do this. And then I come back. I square it all down. Then I'm like, ah, you know when you're done, you finally. Then I look up. The garage is on fire. And the whole garage, your front is on fire. So I'm hosing that down. It's all brown. (laughs) Then I'm like, I'm done. Then I look inside. The inside of the garage is on fire. I'm like, crap. You know, and so I uh, shower that down. Then I'm like, man, it's all brown. So my parents are coming home in 10 minutes, and then I'm like, I got to get this all painted. So I paint the whole thing, and they're coming home. They're like, wow, you're such a good son, Stephen. You're painting the house. I'm like, yes, I love you, Mom. They didn't find out until that story until I was 22 years old, right? Like 10 years later, we were at dinner. I'm like, you guys remember when it rained and we saw all that brown? And like, what is that brown? And I was like, that's burnt the garage now when I was 12 years old. True story. Uh, so fire is very dangerous for us kids, as you can see. Yeah, it's amazing anybody survives. My son uh, <laughs> asked me, just he's 28 years old, hey, Dad, have you ever gone over 100 miles an hour in your car? I go, no. He goes, I have. <laughs> when did you, I ever let you use my car for prom? How fast did you go? 118. Oh, my wow. gosh. Yeah, yeah. Thank God for the PBA cards. So... So with that age, because I think, and we'll go fast forward a little bit as well, um, you know, Bob, with that age at 20 years old, what are some of the biggest things you see? Because you speak around the country. We were just talking to some people in the in hallway before that they battle with. And what are some things that you're more aware of now that issues we have in today's society compared to maybe your upbringing? Well, uh, yeah, my newest story deals with how I went from panic to peace of a busy brain to a quiet mind. Back in 2011, I had an event occur and I went into this massive depression, anxiety, panic. Wow. Uh, and it took a while to come out of that. And when I finally came out of it and started speaking about it, and I learned authenticity from stage. Mm. Most speakers, motivational or otherwise, don't let you know what's going on. They have a mask up and I had a mask. And one day I'm on stage going, guys, I know why people end their life. It's not to end their life, it's to end the pain. And I watched all the wow. walls felt like all the walls in the room came down and it opened up a a communication with other people. So I learned that you always show up as your authentic self. You get connected and you watch for those conversations to start. So I'm at uh, Utah State University about a year and a half ago and I'm talking about movies of the mind and how to calm down. And the guy says, Bob, the biggest crisis on campuses across the country is mental health. I said, really? 
I started calling some universities and found out every one of them, they, they go, it's going nuts. The counseling centers are overwhelmed. Then I started finding out this is going on in the high schools, the middle schools, all the way down to fifth grade. And uh, the biggest contributor to this is the electronics that are around us. It's overstimulating our brains. Yeah, explain that because you were telling me about that before. And go into depth with that because that's huge with social media, our screens, and, and just the, the light that comes from it. Walk us through that. Okay, so there's three different things that are going on. The first is you're being overstimulated every time you get a notification. You get a little ding, you just got hit with cortisol, making you want to pick that thing up. And they did that on purpose. They have PhDs who put this all together. Wow. They are now whistleblowers. Uh, they were on TV telling everybody this. Uh, then you get a hit of dopamine because you see something you like. So what's a variable reward? Why do people get addicted to slot machines? Because they win every once in a while. Yep. You never know what, when. And that's a variable reward. Well, what happens when you're scrolling down? Oh, look, kitty. Scroll, scroll, scroll. Hey, this is funny. And you get hit with that dopamine. All of a sudden, you're on your phone for two hours, and you, you were just going to check one little thing. So that's number one. Yep. Number two is the blue light coming off. Oh, to finish that thought, we have 15th century brains with 21st century technology. Mm. Our brains simply wow. can't handle that overstimulation. So if you go three or four days with no electronics, you actually start feeling better because it's not elevating the cortisol that, that's inside of us. So we don't feel as wound up anymore. And that, that's a huge reason why anxiety exists in today's world. We need approval from this, and we're getting approval from the wrong sources of life. Would you say that? Well, that's one of the three things. See, now what are our kids doing? They're, you know, when I was in high school, I, was, I had about 100 other kids in school that I compared myself to. Our poor kids are comparing themselves to the world. They're going to yeah. find somebody who looks like they have a better life than they do. Hmm. So that, that social media aspect isn't helping. And then the third is the blue light. Harvard Health last year had uh, blue light has a dark side, uh, four ways that um, your brain is damaged by the blue light coming off. And people are going, really, the blue light? I do this for radio stations for Fox. They said, Bob, we're surrounded by blue light. How, do, how would we know we're addicted? I said, well, can you put your, your smartphone in the trunk and not look at it for a day? Uh, do you find yourself getting lost when you're online? So there's ways that you can get unaddicted, but they, I, they, they said, well, what are we going to do? Get blue light blocking glasses. And in fact, an uh, optometrist told me that she's been wearing them in her glasses for four years. You can put them in any lens. If you don't need glasses, you can go down to Best Buy, and they have what they're called gaming glasses. So 100% blue light blocking, uh, that's, that's another thing you can do. Now, to get unaddicted, uh, and this is what I'm teaching the kids. Yeah. It's called grayscale on your, your computer, grayscale on your um, smartphone. It's black and white. So that it, yep. it's not so inviting. doesn't end the blue light, but at least it's not as inviting. You can start weaning yourself off. Turn all your notifications off. And the third thing you do is I'm going to set a goal to go 15 minutes without looking at that phone. Then I'm going to spend one minute and see if I got any texts. Then go to 30 minutes, 45 minutes, an hour until that's a tool for you now. You know, I love the analogy of a uh, hammer. A hammer does great things, right? You can build yep. things with it unless you're hitting yourself in the head, damaging your brain. That's what that smartphone's doing. Wow. It's a great tool unless it's damaging your brain. Yeah, and even social media, it's a great tool, but a lot of times we're using it for the wrong reason. And I call it fillers. And fillers is, is the things that we don't really need to do, but it just fills up our life, but not product, you know, productive, uh, really unproductive things, right? So what are the three things, again, you were saying blue light, Right. Yeah. There's the blue light. There's the um, notifications. Social media, things, texts. And the third is social media. 
Yep. Yeah, getting the, getting the overstimulation of the brain is one, and then all the stuff you can see in social media psychologically isn't good. Because we never had this. This is all newer 10 years, 11 years of things that we're adjusting to. So what's interesting, in the state of Utah in 2013, it was reported that uh, suicide was the third leading killer of our kids. In the state of Utah, it's now number one. Wow. In the United States, it's now number two. Hmm. And the, the, each night, the emergency rooms are having, you know, five to ten kids pop in. It's, it's, it's a common thing that's happening. Yeah. Well, I, I even I was telling you before writing my book, I, was, I, had a, I went MIA with social media. I was, uh, and what I noticed is that, and I'll, you know, getting back on them probably as you get this podcast, I'm on already. But I realized that I was able to mem- remember things so much more. And also childhood things that were in that stored in my mind were starting to come back. Can you can you walk us through like why that happens? Because you know you you're more educated on that. Kind well, of University of Utah, I think, was along with Kansas University. They tested a number of their students on problem solving and creativity. Then they went hiking for a week in the High Uintas. After the words, they increased by fifty percent in both those areas. Yep. Another article came out saying uh, millennials are having more senior moments. Their brains are just too overstimulated. And, and, you know, we need the time to just be quiet. What, do you, what are people doing in the time to be quiet? They grab the phone. You're, you're at a, a stop sign. You're grabbing your phone. You don't have any time to just have a clear mind, and that's another problem. How important is that silent? Because we, we've talked about that in previous podcasts of silence and meditation. I know I've discovered that. I mean, doing karate years ago, we were taught to meditate and just focus on our breathing, right? So... How important are those exercises of silence and meditation to get rid of the clutter out of our life sometimes? It seems to be very important because everybody talks about it. Go to any doctor or psychiatrist or psychologist. They're trying to calm you down and get into the silence. And if that uh, smartphone's around, it's too inviting to just, just pick it up. Yeah, that's amazing. And what, so what other things have you discovered? I mean, going into schools and speaking, you were saying you, were with, uh, you have something with Fox coming up, right? Uh-huh. Yeah, Fox uh, affiliates across the United States Yeah. between 6 and 10 Eastern. I'm going to be on different radio stations talking about that exact thing that we need more silence. And that phone is getting in the way of that. Yeah. Could you elaborate even more? Maybe some things that... Uh, I've probably covered everything already, yeah, many yeah. of those things. But what is interesting is what I've been learning in the schools... A uh, year ago, I asked the kids, how many of you have an uh, idea that maybe the smartphone isn't good for you? Nobody raises their hand. This year, m- half the kids will raise their hand, that they're, they're, uh, there's an awareness. Uh, another thing I learned, I asked 406 graders, how many of you have parents that keep ignoring you and they keep looking at their phone? Almost all the kids' hands go up. So some, I, one, one of the radio announcers is actually blaming the kids. And I go, well, where did they learn it from? Who handed them that phone? Mm. So the little boy who, or the little girl who walked up to his dad and said, Daddy, do you love your smartphone more than you love me? Wow. I have a friend who said, my wife has a new boyfriend. It's her smartphone. It's hard to get her attention. And yeah. I know a lady personally who ended up getting divorced. She said, my husband would come home and play games. He just ignored me. Yeah, because that human connection is such a beautiful thing, right? And I, was, I talk about this uh, podcast book is that when I'm with my, I was with my dad the other day and he just texted me. And I was just maybe talk a little bit about father-mother power. And, and when you understand your father and mother's like upbringing of why they are who they are, you appreciate them so much more and you understand them you know, at a different level. And when he, we went out to lunch, and I realized you have to be in a moment with people. You have to make sure that you're, you're truly... Just Wait like a second, I got to get my phone. What? Oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? No, but it's, 
we're so owned by it, right? We don't know how to turn this thing on airplane. Like airplane mode could be also used when you're not in an airplane, right? And so it's it's that moment because you can get intentional time with somebody in the 30 minutes that could feel like four hours because you're really in the moment with them. And I realized that my relationship has gotten so much better because I'm, I'm listening more. Then you just taught me something about before. Could you explain the, what was it, the left eye to the left eye? Yeah, one of my teachers uh, taught me to look each other in the eyes when we're talking, which was really hard for me to do quite a while. Yeah. And so I started practicing just getting connected, getting connected because uh, it releases a trust hormone, which is called uh, oxytocin, which mm -hmm. is stronger than the dopamine of addiction. Yep. So one day I was just sitting there going, I wonder if you just looked at one eye, if it would be different. So a friend of mine, we looked in each other's right eyes talking and then we went left eye, left eye. He goes, whoa. So he goes, I feel like I just got sucked in. So yeah. find somebody you trust, sit with them, left eye, left eye, and have a conversation. And it almost looks like the other person's becoming a cyclops. Yeah. Because everything else just kind of goes, fades away, and you're just tunneled right in. You can't see it on the podcast right now, but we're doing it, and I feel it, right? And a neuropsychologist that I showed this yeah. to goes, what the heck is this? And she said 30 minutes later, she goes, I can't believe that you used to be neurotic and couldn't sit still. My, my son said, Dad, our whole lives you were like a mosquito on cocaine. And now you're very <laughs> calm compared to that. I could, I, yeah, I couldn't sit still anywhere. And he goes, geez, Dad, are you on drugs? If you are, this is a really good one. It's part of my TEDx talk. Yeah. Talk about your TEDx talk. That's really cool. So what you what were you able to cover on there? And when was that? When were you able to do that? It was just a few months ago, and it's connect is a possible connection quiets the mind. Huh. So I learned that when I got connected to my uh, repressed memories from childhood, that helped. And then I found out what didn't help. You see, I got really good at positivity. I taught it, and I was the most positive, anxious person on the planet. And then I learned gratitude, and then happiness, and then service, and then affirmations, and on and on and on and on. And I became the most positive, grateful, happy, service-oriented, blah, 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 anxious person every single day. So my new teacher said, Bob, let me tell you what's, what's been going on in your life. He goes, uh, you stay busy, right? I said, yeah. He goes, busy is an addiction. You look at people drinking or on drugs, they're covering pain. Yep. You have been covering pain with your busy. He said, it didn't wow. work for you, did it? I go, uh-uh. He said, I'll tell you what you did next. You refrained. I go, what do you mean? You caught the negative thought, turned it into a positive, the ungrateful to a grateful, the unhappy to a happy. It takes a lot of work, but it didn't work, did it? I go, uh-uh. He says, I'll tell you what you did next. You thought if I serve enough people, I'm going to feel better. Bob, if you're serving others to feel better, you're going to burn out if you haven't already. It's duct tape. It's not. It's a temporary fix. It's a Band-Aid. I call it Band-Aids. And that's how you know it doesn't work, last. If it doesn't last, it's a Band-Aid. So I said, so what do you got? He said, I'm going to teach you how to get connected with yourself, and that's reflection. I'm going to teach you how to get connected with others, and you see if your mind doesn't start quieting down. And it got quieter and quieter till one day uh, through active listening, being able to deep listen, talk, and with nothing on my mind, just to talk to you yeah, and just to listen. One day I called him. I said, dude, what happened? What did you do to me? He goes, what? I said, I used to have to meditate to quiet my mind. Now it's just quiet. How is that possible? And he said, well, mm. you got connected to yourself and connected to others. And uh, I always say you need to date yourself before you can date somebody else. Oh, the professor from University of Texas, he wrote the book, If You're So Smart, Why Aren't You Happy? He goes, the worst thing ever on stage and screen is you complete me. He goes, nobody completes you. You are complete. You've got to find that in yourself. If you make somebody else responsible for your happiness... He goes, you just set them up to fail. Nobody yeah. can make you happy. And that's, we got all these marriages where they're, 
they don't know what that is. Yeah, you need to be the architect of your happiness and peace. Mm -hmm. But sometimes we let somebody architect be the architect of our of our life, of our home, and we don't get to design the home that we want, right? Mm -hmm. And how, what are some action steps that people? Because a lot of people listen to this, um, you know, to this audio and podcast. What are some action steps people can do to to kind of get out of their funk? Because like I'll give you a great example. Yesterday I was at the event and I have a lot of projects and things going on, right? And I, I felt it, and, and I'm very, like, what you said before about being authentic, being vulnerable, being real, that is such a huge thing. We, we live this mask, and that's why I, I really appreciated you, because you're just, you're real, and you see the audience. I mean, when you guys get a chance to see Bob speak, the whole audience is, like, captured by not only his voice, but his presence and his stories, and, and really awesome. And, but I started getting my mind, I started getting these negative thoughts, and I'm like, no, I, I got to catch them. I'm like, these are made-up thoughts that are starting to just cultivate it, and they're not true, right? Do you still go through that once in a while in your life, And but they only last like 30 seconds, a minute, five minutes, because before they would last four days, five days, and they drag on. So how do you deal with that, and how do people kind of get out of that funk if they're listening to this? How do you get out of that funk? Well, it's interesting. That doesn't happen anymore. My son, I. this is also part of the TEDx called him to tell him I couldn't make it. I'm running a little bit late. He says, running late for what, Dad? To move that table. Oh, was that today? I go, well, maybe today, maybe tomorrow. He goes, Dad, don't you get mad anymore? It's been two years since I've seen you mad, frustrated, or angry. Wow. Dad, doesn't it matter to you? I go, Tom, it's not that it doesn't matter. I'm just okay either way. Mm. So I've, I've gotten to this place where I'm okay either way. But how did you get to that place? Okay, three things. Um, repressed, uh, the repressed childhood memories I had to heal. Your roots. Yeah. Yep. And, and there's a guy who, um, his name's Jordan Gray. He wrote How to Overcome or How to Release Your Repressed Anger. You can look it up, okay? And he talks about you feel the anger. You feel the sadness. You know, anger isn't bad. Anger is a secondary emotion covering pain. Mm. Now, we don't want to take it out on someone else, but I go to my room and I start pounding on the bed until I got to the pain. So I'll let you read that article. So then the second part was... Finding out what didn't work, the band-aids, the positivity, gratitude, happy, you know, the catching thing you're talking about, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, that's reframing. Well, getting connected. Get connected to other people. Get connected by talking to them, looking them in the eye. That's a big part of how I got healed and quieted down. And then the third part is letting go of irrational thought. And I use the little story. You want me to tell the story I told from yeah. stage today? Yeah, please. Okay, so the, there was a young lady, uh, junior in high school, soccer star. And she was always freaking out about everything, very nervous, biting her nails. And um, actually, this one didn't bite her nails, but she was always nervous. I said, so what's going on this week? She goes, oh, I'm scared to death about our soccer game coming up on Saturday. I said, why? She goes, I'm afraid I'm going to fall down. I'm afraid the coach is going to yell at me. I'm afraid we're going to lose. And it's Tuesday. And I said, did you know that your feelings are real, but your thoughts aren't? Mm. She goes, well, what do you mean? <laughs> I said, picture a little spider crawling across your face. She goes, Ugh. how about a little wasp on your neck? Ugh. I said, well, wait a second. Is there a spider or a wasp? No. So those are just what? Thoughts. And they're not wow. real. Gave her one more example. You go to a scary movie. There's actors and actresses. As soon as the, you're getting freaked out, you go, oh, it's not real. They're just actors and actresses. Yeah. So I said this question. I said, are you currently playing soccer on Saturday? Let me remind you, it's Tuesday. We're here in your living room. She goes, what? Are you currently playing soccer on Saturday? She goes, well, no. Did you fall down on Saturday? No. Did the coach yell at you on Saturday? Well, no. I said, okay, would you agree with me? You are playing a movie in your head. I just... I just wrote that. I said a movie in your mind. I was going to say that. You're wow. playing a movie in your head. Nobody else can see it. 
and it's freaking you out and it's not real. I said, would you agree with me it's not real? She said, okay. All right, well, play the movie again in your head. How does that feel? Ugh. I said, okay, what would you experience? What would it feel like right now without that movie playing in your head? That's not even real. Wake up from the nightmare. Be right here right now. What would it feel like? And she looked at her dad and said, I could be happy. Oh my gosh, it's not real. And she got it in a moment. Wow. It took me three months of reminding myself, reminding myself, reminding myself. And I said, look, when you're feeling that tension in your stomach or that yuck in your, your heart, or you're all wound up about future thoughts or past thoughts, you're playing a movie in your head and it's not real. Would you say that? One more thing. Yeah, yeah. She got angry a couple minutes later and I said, why are you mad? You know what my sister said to me two days ago? And then she started laughing. You know why? She goes, it's just a movie. It's mm. not real. The only way to get mad is to play a movie. And then she started laughing and wow. running around school telling thoughts aren't real, thoughts aren't. Anyway, she got it. And I keep getting calls from schools and parents saying, I don't know what happened, but my daughter or my son is doing much better. And I've had people say that they're not biting their fingernails anymore. Wow. Uh, their panic attacks went away. And it's not me. I'm, I'm showing them something that's not real. And then they can reflect inside that's and awesome. heal themselves. Yeah, I'm tearing right now. And I'm, I'm, I got chills because that's so awesome. And it's so true. Because a lot of times throughout my life, I would always let external environments control my internal environments. And I relate it to when you're in a car and it's cold outside and 70 degrees inside your car and you're driving, why are you complaining with your windows down that it's cold inside? Close the windows, right? And what you said is so true. This movie we play, and it's a BS movie, and we have to sometimes change the narrative and change the character. What, what can people do to, because your mind's a muscle, but we don't train, we train our body, we would never train our mind, right? So what are some key things? I know you said before those three things, but what are some other key things that people can do to train their mind? to play the movie that they want. Hmm, that's interesting. I would I'll point you in the direction again. Byron Katie wrote the book, Loving What Is. Okay. She talks about the stories in your mind. That's kind of where I think my teacher got a lot of this. Yeah. There's Michael Neal, who uh, he, he's got a couple books out there and he talks about stress isn't out there, stress is inside us. Mm -hmm. uh, there's Jamie Smart, who wrote the book Clarity. Yep. And if you read those books, it pretty much gets you to where I am. Because there's habitual thought, you know, that talking that's going on in your head. And if you could quiet that down, there's the inspired thought. Mm -hmm. When do you get your greatest ideas? When I'm in the shower or when I'm driving to work or I'm on vacation because you're not thinking and bam, that inspired thought comes up. Why can't you hear it more often? Because your mind is making too much noise. Yeah, the VCF, Victorious Con Contributing to Society and Fun, came when I was in Vermont a few weeks ago because I was just, I was free. I was away from, from the clutter of life. Um, but it's, uh, it's so true with, with how, when you clear that and you make the movie you want, it's, you love your life. Life's amazing. And I think that's such, if you listen to this, everybody has gone through that or is going through that, but to know that there is a new movie that you can play. And I think that's this expired stories is what we live in way too much sometimes in society. And we never create this new story. Would you agree with that? Well, actually don't create any movies. I watch for that inspired thought to come up and that becomes the new movie. Mm, high five for that. Oof. I love that. Who've been, who have been your biggest influences, Bob, and mentors in your life? People that you really have influenced you and, and mentored you? Back in college, his name's Rick Farr. Uh, Rick Farr was the one that I would always go to. I have this little philosophy. If you have a problem, you're, if you complain about it, you become a victim. Be the student, find your teacher, make it happen. So I would go to Rick and ask him for advice or questions. or Basically, you know what he really did? He was quiet with no judgment and let me figure it out myself. He was really good at that. Yeah. He's still my mentor to this day. He's in his 70s. I'm 60. 
Wow. So Rick had a great influence. I had two professors that got me back into college to uh, get a master's. They said, you th we think you'd be a great speaker or trainer one day. Yep. And then uh, James Hadlock and Dr. Manov, those two guys were the ones who took me from panic to peace. Hmm. Who's been your... Um... What's like? What's been your biggest thing that you enjoy about what you get to do? It is so fun to see people wake up and go, oh, like with memory. I teach memory skills. And they go, mm -hmm. oh, I just did that. I just memorized 20 things hearing at once. And now it's, oh, the movie's in my head. To see those light bulbs go off in the audience is the greatest feeling. Yeah. And I'm sure it's, it's, it's when you see people get results in life, it's, it's an amazing feeling. Right. Yeah. There's a lot of people out there that are coaching or whatever. And I'm going, well, what have you done that? What have you gone through in your life? You know, I'm 28. I'm a coach. And I go, you know, make sure you whatever you're teaching is, is helpful. But there is there are coaches that make you accountable. And I think those are great because if somebody can't get themselves to do it, it's nice to have that accountability yeah. coach. You were saying eight years ago you hit little rock bottom. 2011. Uh, 2011, you were 50. 54. 54, but you don't look 54. or No, you, you, didn't, you look very young, by the way. And you have, he has a full set of hair and I don't. So God bless him, right? Um, People actually said I, I look younger than I did before because if you're all tensed up all the time. Yeah. By the way, in calming down, I don't need back massages anymore. My, <laughs> my muscles on So you save time. money. Oh, yeah. So you save money by calming down. And my doctor just said, uh, whatever you're doing, he goes, do you know how different you are, how calm you are? Yeah. And he takes me to lunch each year to see what I've learned, and I point him to the books. Yeah. Who, who else have you enjoyed? Because you've been around some, some really big people who have inspired you also. Well, Zig Ziglar inspired me. In fact, mm. I remember when I spoke the first time with him in the year 2000, I watched him speak, and I go, I, I suck. I'm not that good. <laughs> now I don't say things like that to myself anymore. Yeah. Um, so now it's Loretta LaRouche. Um, mm. She's out of Boston. She's uh, 80 years old. She's studied stress at Harvard for 15 years. She is hilarious, and she gives you great takeaways that you can immediately implement. She's yeah. just wonderful. What are some things that you learned from her? <coughs> well, uh, what are th basically I learned the, you know the the belly laugh, you know the deep laugh. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we mm -hmm. need a good laugh every single day. And mm -hmm. Doctor Wayne, what is it? Wayne Johnson? No, Doctor Gray. He Doctor wrote the book Men Are From Mars. Yep. Sorry about that. Uh, he taught me we need a good cry every day. Hmm. But too many of us, he goes, you're human, Bob. We should cry every day. We should laugh every day. But that cry is like gratitude. I know that happens to me every day, every every few days, just that cry of gratitude. That actually happened when we were just going. I want, I want you to talk about Phil Town you know, and how you were able to connect with him. But I just going to the, his farm today and 400 plus acres. He has, what, 30, 40 horses there. And my brother looks at me. He's like, you tear him? I'm like, yeah. I was like, because I'm just so grateful right now. That somebody's opening up their, you know, their doors to be able to experience and see the beautiful farm and feed us and amazing piece of land. Um, how did you meet, meet Phil Town and, and kind of get a little background on him? Well, we were just speaking at a, an event. That's how I met him. And then we would just have these philosophical conversations. It cracks me up. I remember one time we were driving from one city to another. And I'm just getting angry and mad about this argument we're in. And he finally goes, Bob, I agree with you. I just wanted to see how committed you were to your your position. So it's just kind of fun. But even yesterday, wow. we were just, you know, we just talked philosophically about this or that. Yeah, because he's developed a, an amazing, um, you know, hedge fund and, and, and investments portfolios uh, with Rule One. That's his book. And what have you seen being around him and being able to work with him that you've seen? How does he operate that's different, would you say? Phil just wants everyone to understand and to learn. He, he's going, let's, 
let's change the world one, one person at a time with investing instead of letting other people take care of your money. And what are they doing? They're not beating the market. So he says, let me show you how to invest like Warren Buffett and, and Munger invest. Yeah. And then he, he opens up the doors and says, I'm going to teach you. So that's his giving. Yeah. And that's huge. What, what do you love most about what you get to do, would you say? And, and some, maybe some um, good stories or experiences that you've been able to do that you remember if there's two or three experiences or stories. Oh, what would that be? Uh, I love going into the schools, seeing the kids laugh. Uh, they're so inspired. And, and actually, what I also like seeing is I tell these kids, look, if you're suffering silently, I say, come talk to me afterwards or go talk to one of the counselors or your principal. And after I get through it, every single school, we find kids that have been in crisis or are in crisis and they haven't told anyone. Mm. And that's, you know, if we could save one life at every single school, I, I once thought, you know, maybe I'll just pay these schools $500 to let me come in. Cause what's the, what's the price? What's the value of one of their kids? Yeah. And you save a life by, by just being there for them. And would you, what do you think is your medicine to the world? Cause I think everybody has a different medicine. So when you look at yourself, Bob, what's your medicine to the world? I want to wake people up so they see who they are and that mm. they're of incredible worth and that they, the answers are within. I don't ask for advice. What's advice? If we ask enough people, we'll find somebody who's going to agree with what we've already decided. Or advice is something we don't want to hear. You know. So the answer is inside, but we've got to quiet down to see what that answer is. Yeah. Yeah. And, um... Yeah, and you know this is—I mean, this is good stuff. Uh, I hope you guys are enjoying this, and you know we'll we'll wrap up with a couple more questions. So, with you know with public speaking, Bob, what are some key things with being able to communicate with organizations, with churches, people are you youth leaders or business leaders? What are some of the key things to being a great public speaker and communicator to people? Because you do that very well. Well, would you rather read a storybook or a textbook? Stories all day. Yeah, so stories are powerful. Um, then there are those who love to preach and then there are those who love to whom they are preaching or speaking to. Mm. So that's a big difference. Another one is uh, a story will go preach versus testify. I heard it that way. So instead of preaching going, you need to do this, 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 and this, tell them your story. Here's where I was. Here's what I learned. And here's where I've gone. And those are the stories that just uh, touch people's hearts and, and linger there long after you've left. Yeah, because you forget people's names sometimes, but you never forget experiences or stories that somebody may tell you. They may forget what you said, but they'll never forget how you made them feel. Yeah. And what are some key things? Because you, you spoke about that, right? About uh, some of the exercises of connecting with people or getting to know people or breaking ice. I love what you talked about the other day. Oh, yeah. I heard a speaker talk about uh, uh, lessons from a pickup artist. <laughs> so you find something that you sincerely can compliment them about, not not their looks, because that's kind of creepy. Right? <laughs> but like I might say, I love your forehead. <laughs> <laughs> so I might say, wow, I really like that jacket. OK, so I just broke the um, the nice. ice and then you introduce yourself. So it's C.I. Compliment, introduce. Hi, my name's Bob. And then pause for two or three seconds. Cattell. Mm -hmm. And then ask a question they can answer. So where are you from? I have a friend who wrote a book called Foster, F-O-S-T-E-R. Uh, where are you from? O is for occupation. S is where did you go to school? Mm -hmm. And so that's a great book to read by Ronnie Ruggiero and, you know, how to keep a conversation going with anybody. Yeah. And because I think that's communication is everything with what, you, what you're able to do. Um, and being authentic, being real, and people feeling your heart. Because that's a big thing. When you lead with your heart, people feel it, Right. Um, so that's, that's a huge thing. Now you were going to touch base about the cookie story. 
Oh, the cookie story. Uh, yeah, when I go into the schools, I tell these kids, do you know the great power you have to lift those who come into your space? Instead of putting them down, lifting them up. And I had a kid say, well, I'm a teenager. What, what difference could I possibly make? I said, well, I can tell you you make a difference. Uh, Ten years ago, no, it was a little longer than that, uh, my doctor called me and told me the little tumor he took out of my chest had spread from somewhere else in my body, and I had less than a year to live. Now, he was wrong, but I didn't know that for 28 days. So what would you do if you found out you had a year to live? Well, I had already learned gratitude, so I picked up my camera and I started filming. And I said, kids, I just found out I've got a year to live, and I want you to know I'm grateful for every day of life I have with you. So you had that tumor, and they told you they had it because I remember the story. You had a year to live. So that's, that- what, that's what they thought. Wow. Well, then I got practical, by the way. I called the dentist and canceled my dentist appointment because I thought, I'm not going to go there anymore. (laughs) And then my daughter at the time, uh, she comes up to me, 14 years old. Dad, I I have a question. I said, what is it, sweetie? Dad, do you have life insurance? (laughs) I said, yeah, why? Is there any chance we could get some money for some clothes? I mean, not today, but you know. So for 28 days, I lived with the news. It was all over. 28 days later, the Huntsman Cancer Center calls me and says, hey, you're okay. We made a mistake. I was grateful. And I got practical. I called the dentist and got my dentist appointment back. And I took my daughter shopping for clothes because I didn't want her to be disappointed that I didn't die. <laughs> but those 28 days, what was running through your mind? Because that like time is, is the biggest currency of life. I, I end my book with it is time is everything. When I lost my dad and, and mom, you know, when they were sick almost a few years ago, my whole perspective towards life changed. So what were those 28 days like for you? For me, tw- I found I was doing what a lot of older people do. I started pulling out all my pictures and watching videotape. I was living in the past because I didn't know about movies of the mind. Scared of the future. What's death going to be like with cancer? Mm. Oh, but back to the, the, the cookie story. Uh, when I was going through that 28 days and it was really hard, and somebody once said, when you're in a hard place, you might be in the middle of your next inspirational story. Mm. There was a little girl in my neighborhood, 13 years old, going through chemotherapy for a brain tumor. She heard about me, showed up at my door with a plate of cookies and said, call me anytime, day or night. Wow. I know what you're going through and I think I can help. How old was she? 13. 13 years old. So in that moment, my life changed from her (laughs) because I thought, what am I doing with my life? So every day I wake up, I go, whose life can I change today? Wow. And then I spend the day trying to find that person. By the way, she survived. She's 24 years old. Last year, she was at one of the universities I was speaking at. (laughs) I said, Jocelyn, you're here. She goes, yeah, I heard you were speaking. And I got to this part of the story when I was speaking to the audience. I said, Jocelyn, one million people's lives have been touched because you showed up at my door with a plate of cookies and I spread the word. Wow. So there's no such thing as a small act of kindness. I, my neighbor, I have a friend that I knew for years who thinks he hasn't made a contribution in the world. I said, you've, you've contributed to five million people, pal. I wouldn't be where I am today if it wasn't for you. That's, it's so crazy, these, the doors that, that open in life, and sometimes you don't realize what's behind that door, but sometimes we never open it, right? And, and how that, because you don't realize the one seed that you plant. It's like zoysia grass. You ever hear about zoysia grass? Mm-hmm. So I grew up, I like grass, uh, not the stuff that you smoke, the, gr- the grass <laughs> that you, you plant, and uh, playing baseball. And what's interesting about zoysia grass is that when you grow one seed, the, the regular, like Scott seed, it's one thing, maybe two or three seed, like grass seeds that come up. But with zoysia, you plant one bulb, and if you leave that bulb there, it actually goes throughout the whole uh, lawn 
over time, just that one bulb will start to like do three, four, five feet of grass. Wow. And what's so interesting about it is that the roots are so deep and so strong that it's, it's almost impossible to get out. It's like bamboo tree. It's actually legal to, to grow bamboo, uh, I know in New York and certain parts, because it's impossible to get the roots because they're so deep, right? And we were talking about how your root system and the things that you start to change and do you were saying how, you know, with that, that girl giving you that, that, that cooking, just that inspiration, and then 5 million people you're speaking to, and you're going to speak to 5 million plus more people because I know you're going to do, you're already doing amazing things, but you're going to do even bigger things. Um, you got to get his book and, and all this stuff and check out his website. But how much has that changed your generational mentality with your kids and your family, uh, with you changing and them seeing how you don't react to things, you respond and just the leader you are, you know, with yourself and then to life? My two daughters, uh, 23 and 20, their emotional maturity is so far beyond most adults that I know. It blows my mind. Uh, and then the, it, one of my kids said, uh, is it weird that I like hanging out with my dad? Uh. So as I changed and healed inside, it attracted them to me. One of them said, in fact, this is, this is a great moment. I was sitting with my kids a couple of years ago and around the table and they all tightened up. And I go, guys, what, what just happened? Dad, we just don't want to disappoint you. And I found out judgment is a connection killer. So mm-hmm. I wrote them all a letter that night, and I said, there's nothing you can do or not do that will ever disappoint me. You don't have to earn my love. I'm your dad. Wow. You don't have to perform to get my love. And I watched the relationship start changing, and the last one finally said, uh, I, I finally believe that you've really changed, Dad. So in me changing and healing me, there's so many people want to heal their wife or they want to heal somebody else go, Heal yourself. You can't do anything for anyone else. Wait, get healed, and it attracts people to you, and they'll go, how did you do that? Hmm. Did you always know that in your life, like that's what needs to be done, or is it things that you just discovered along the way? No, I discovered it along the way. Judgment's a connection killer. A great um, example of that, there was a young man. He was in his 20s, and he was rejected from the military, and I went to visit him because his mom wanted me to. And when I walked in the door, old guy, wall goes right up, right? Show up as your authentic self. And I told him, I've had struggles too. Wall comes down. Two hours later, he goes, you're not like other adults I've ever talked to. I go, what do you mean? He said, "Uh, you don't judge. I said, how did you know that? I told you I did drugs with my friends two days ago. If you had lifted an eyebrow, we were done. Mm. But you accepted me. His mother calls me a couple weeks later, says, "What, what did you say to him? I go, I didn't say anything. I sat there with no judgment and he solved all of his own problems. Yeah, because you just love them regardless. Yeah. I just said that to my mom and dad the other day. I said, I never wanted to do drugs um, or different things. I was around it where I grew up. But I remember my dad and mom saying, listen, we're going to give you freedom. We're going to let you go and enjoy. But just don't let the family down. But we trust that you'll do the right thing. And they gave me that freedom. So when I would see the drugs and different stuff, I was like, no, I'm good. Plus, I was afraid of my dad's Italian belt. He had like an Italian belt buckle, like the eagle. So I was like, I was like, that thing could work on me and I don't want that to. But it was like, you, you give that space because sometimes you could be overwhelming to your kids, right? So being a parent and some parents that may be listening to this, what's some of your biggest parenting advice being a, a dad, you know, to, to boys and, and girls as well? Well, I like what Tiger Woods once said. He said, every time I asked my dad a question when I was a little boy, he stopped everything, got down on a knee, got eye level with me, and he answered my question completely. He mm-hmm. said, I know my dad. The most important person on the planet is the one who's right in front of you. 
Yep. So I started doing that with my kids and even with little kids. If I'm talking to them, I get down at their level and I look them in the eye and I mm-hmm. smile and I get connected and I watch where the thought is going to go. I, um, I also learned that manipulation using shame, blame, doubt, guilt, and fear, you can use that stuff on your kids, but it'll come with a layer of resentment. You might get them to do something like you clean your room. Why? Your son doesn't have a problem with his dirty room. He's totally fine. <laughs> and with my son, I, I picked my battles. I let him have this his messy room. And he went on to get a degree in finance. He's just had a little girl. His life is great. But I could have destroyed the relationship with him by trying to manipulate him to get him to do what I want so I could feel better about myself. It wasn't what was best for him. It was what was best for me. Best for you, yeah. And it's what's best for you won't be best for somebody else. Yeah. A um, couple more things. I mean, this is amazing stuff. If you guys are hearing this, it's uh, uh, thank you so much. Um, I'm learning from you right now. And that's why this this podcast, Seven Rock Life Nation, is about stories that inspire with people that you admire. You know, and you're definitely one of those people without a doubt that, you know, that I admire uh, just hearing your story. What are some life shifts that happened to you, like two or three life shifts that made a big impact in your life, would you say? Because I think we all have that. There's times that, and talk about me about your accident, because you filmed that, and I remember, I don't know if that was a life shift, but uh, that was pretty recent. Uh, actually, I got something else I'd like to throw in sure, here. Sure, yeah. Uh, you know how looking into each other's eyes? I, so when I started doing that, my teacher said, I want you to go have a deep listening exercise for 30 minutes with somebody who you think is your superior and who is your inferior. So I started with the president of New York Life for all of Hawaii, and we had a great conversation. Then I went and sat on the street next to someone who was homeless, and I looked him in the eye, and we talked for 30 minutes. Hmm. I called my teacher. He said, what did you learn? I said, I learned there is no one greater or lesser than I am. We're all made of the same stuff, this divinity. Wow. So when I was speaking at a prison, 100 inmates are there. I got to this point in my presentation, and I said, guys, I can see who you are. You have have told me that... You're honored that I would come speak to you. I am honored that I would sh- that you would listen and let me share my life experience to help you with your life and your experience. Okay. One of the guards, uh, one of the prisoners, came up afterwards and said, "If the guards could see us like you see us, we'd never have a problem here." Wow! Wow! That's so that's so powerful because I always said somebody who is uh, has you know done something bad in their life. A lot of times it's because of people stopped loving them or their upbringing issues, but they did love somebody and, and somebody loved them at one time in their life, right? And I mean, go into that a little bit, just sitting down with uh, the homeless person, going to prison. I mean, how you can, it's not even, it's, you're not even manipulating, you're just connecting to people on a, on a genuine level. That's a, I mean, where did you kind of t- learn that from or was it something that you just came from your heart? Well, my teacher, James Hadlock, yeah. Um, he's in Midway, Utah. He, he would just ask me the questions and let me discover it. Like I discovered that, oh my gosh, I love people. Yeah. I used to have a social anxiety and I just wanted to stay away from people. So I'm sitting there one day in front of you know my audience and I go, oh my gosh, I like people. So instead of ripping out of there, I hang around uh, till the end, till the last person's done talking to me. So I will, it's, uh, some schools are amazed that I'll just hang out with the kids as long as they have, are walking up asking questions. And it wasn't something I, I got healed inside and then that started to happen. Yeah. And I think a lot of times people are a cup in life. They're not a pitcher. They, they try to just drink from their own cup, but they don't pour into other people's lives. And when you can become a pitcher in life, you're able to pour and you feel good because you're, you're sharing, you're giving, right? 
And a lot of times the things that you go through are some of your best blessings. That's why if you're listening to this and you're battling with stuff or you overcame certain seasons in your life, I always say, you know, God's gift to us is life and what we do with that life is our gift back to the universe, right? And I know that's what your gift has been able to do is give back and all those different things and plant those seeds. And I'm still thinking about the cookie story about the 13-year-old girl and how she, you know, that one little thing, you, te- you learn so much from it. I was skiing two weeks ago. I actually haven't told anybody this story. I'm in, the, in Vermont sitting, uh, doing, uh, cleaning my hands. This little kid can't reach, like, the, the paper towels and different stuff, so I help him. And he's like, thank you. Like, such a cute kid. Uh, and then I open up the faucet. I give him, like, paper towel. He's like, you're really a nice man. Thank you. Hmm. And walks out. I literally, I'm such a baby. I start tearing. I'm like, he's like four years old, five years old. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Like how, so, like that, just so genuine, so, so real, so authentic. And I think sometimes we become so jaded towards life. And I don't know if you said that today about certain things that we say now. We didn't have that as a kid. It was imprinted in us in society. Yeah. Nobody grew up with the words, I'm an idiot. Yeah. Yeah, you don't you don't born in like a little baby like I'm an idiot, and they're like no, it's like they're fun, they're they're uh, curious, they want adventure. I think when we get away from fun and adventure, we forget that kid like. So you know, with with wrapping up, just one or two more things. Talk about maybe just um, being able to to get your mental state into a, a positive mind to, to stay youthful, to stay young, to stay fresh, like that kid. Well, my experience has been as I got healed, it just came out that yeah. we're made of that stuff we go we're curious being curious is so important i remember a job that i had when i first got out of college i was working for somebody right after my bachelor's degree and at the end of each day i came in with three or four pages of questions for him hmm. and 30 years later he retired and i says hey remember i used to come in with all those questions he goes uh-huh in 30 years how many people did that he goes you're the only one Wow. In the book, Think Like a Freak, it said the worst, the, the most difficult thing for people to say is, I don't know. I live by I don't know. You know, if somebody says, you know, what, what's, I just go, I don't know. I don't know how to get there. And I, in life, you learn so much more instead of going, I'm going to figure it out myself every single time. And do you know Shad, Shad uh, Helmstetter? Have you heard of him? He talks about uh, what do you say to yourself? Um, you know, uh, when you talk to yourself and this, the, the words that you say, do you believe in self-talk and just how important that is? Well, that would go to the affirmations. That was yep. also one of the band-aids mm-hmm. in my life. Now, all of those band-aids, my life got a little bit better, like going from the negative to a positive. Um, so there's this, this gal I know, and she's one of the top salespeople in her organization. And I said, you don't need this positivity model. You're, you're one of the most positive people I ever met. She, I said, were you always this way? She goes, oh, no. When I was 13 years old, my teacher gave each of us a piece of paper and a pencil and said, keep track of how many times you complain. Mm. At the end of the day, she said, I filled up the entire paper. She goes, I was appalled. 13 years old, she rewired her brain. And she said, I'm going to go 15 minutes without complaining, then an hour. Then she doesn't complain. I haven't, I haven't had a complaint in years. And the way to get to that positivity model, if you're listening... Um, every time you go, it would be better if you're complaining. You're not happy with what is. Yep. So catch yourself every time and go, my life rocks. Why? Because it could be worse. Wherever you are in your life, you are between better and worse. And if you're focusing on it, it would be better if it creates a negative emotion. My life rocks. Gratitude. It could be worse. And so that's what happened with that car accident. I got in a rollover. Uh, I thought I had a broken neck. I'm laying on the ground. And I've got footage. You saw it today. Yes, yeah, sorry. And here I am with selfie going... 
Hi, everyone. I'm grateful. Just got my first car accident. We rolled twice. You've got a neck Great brace fun. on and you're telling, hey, guys. Yeah. I was like, are you kidding me? And then I go, hey, my phone is bent a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> but you rewired your brain. But yeah. that After going eight months of going my life rocks, I, that was the day I went, oh, my gosh. I had the greatest day of my life talking to the guys in the, the hospital. And by the way, it wasn't a broken neck. I broke my clavicle. But that's why I couldn't move my head at all. Mm. In fact, I, do you remember I was on the gurney? Yep. The, yeah, the first hospital, their x-ray machine didn't work. So they rolled me across the street to the other hospital. Why go around the curb when you can go over it, right? Mm. So I'm stuck for a second. And the guy notices the sun's in my eyes. So he puts a blanket over my face. I go, don't do that. <laughs> I think I'm dead. I thought it was hilarious. <laughs> and then I'm pointing up laughing because... Guys, look, there's two vultures circling right over my head. Oh, my gosh. But that day was awesome because I was going, it could have been worse. My mm. life rocks. Wow. Where was that again? That was down in Mexico. In Mexico. North of Cabo. Yeah. that's. But your perspective towards life, it, it shifts and you rewired your brain. And gratitude and appreciation is, I mean, when I saw that video, I was like, wow, that's it's important to be able to do that, right? So that's that's good stuff, guys. I know you guys got a lot out of this podcast. Um, uh, last two things is... Uh, where can people find you, Bob? Uh, the easiest way to get to my website is expertbob.com. I used to go with my name, but nobody could spell my name. <laughs> expertbob.com. I've got my TEDx talk is on there. My book is on there. Um, my information, my message now is enlighten up. Okay. Um, stress less to success. I'm awesome. I'm or gonna, I'm stress less to test test taking. So, if, And by the way, if you can get me into school, my, my all my information's on there. My phone number's on there. You want to call? Call me. I tell people, you can't bother me, and still they think they're going to bother me. Yeah. Um, if you can get me into a school, I'm not kidding you, you guys. I, uh, you know, if I, the day's off, I fly out there, and maybe I'll speak to four or five schools in your area. Wow. Yeah, no, and you, and you have such a servant heart. I can tell just the way you, you speak. You're so genuine. Uh, also, you have your Instagram as well. Oh, yeah, Instagram. Guys, the, <laughs> the kids in the schools think you're nobody unless you have an Instagram following. So three years ago, I started asking my audiences, please follow me on Instagram. And honestly, I don't even follow you back because I'm, I'm, I have to have a following so the kids think I'm somebody to go into the school. Mm-hmm. And in fact, principals actually look at that. Yeah. And I, and I tell the kids, you've been hoodwinked. But if you follow me, Bob Memory... On Instagram, I have over 161 minute with Bobs, mm. and they're they all come with a lesson. Some of them are just hilarious and fun, but uh, it, it, there's good stuff there. Yeah, no, no, I appreciate. It. I mean, there's just so much uh, wisdom, and uh, so we always we always end up. And make sure you guys follow, get his book. I'm actually getting it today, I believe. So I'm excited. If I don't get it, then tell Bob that why did he not give Steve the book? The Memory um, Maestro. Yes, yeah. I'm excited for that. So this is the question that we end every podcast with for Seven Rock Life podcast. Are you ready? Oh, great. It's a question. Let's go, man. All right, here we go. So if you had a billboard for the whole world to see, what would your message be to the world? Lighten up. Why? It's all a movie in the future, in the past. You're having a great time right now in the moment. Live in the moment. See if you can get there. Because that's where life exists. Mm. Thank you so much, Bob. Bob Cattell, guys, watch him, follow him, and uh, he's going to continue to do big things. You're going to be on Fox uh, this upcoming week with his and he had his TEDx talk. Just good stuff, and listen to this a lot. Rewire that brain. Thank you for listening to Seven Rock Life uh, podcast. Leave a review with any things you got from this. We appreciate all the support. Love you guys. Have a great, great day, and uh, take care. Peace.